Good morning and Merry Christmas. <clears throat> Scotty, that last hymn is one of my favorites, so thank you. And thank you, Lauren, for organizing the choir and for Bob's leadership. It really is great. I'm right next to Scotty and Josh. And if I weren't next to them, I'd be all over the place. So, <laughs> so thank you. It really turns out beautiful. Even from up here, it sounds, sounds pretty. The last few weeks, we have been remembering uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the hymns that we have been singing and in some of the messages. And this, actually, this morning won't be much different, except one th the, there's a hymn, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I had heard Mary, Did You Know uh, by Mark Lowry, and it just stuck with me. I kept pondering, what was it like for Mary to hold a baby, and this was her savior. My God rejoices, my heart rejoices in God my savior. And all the prophecies that took place in regards to this, the birth of this child, whom she and Joseph were both asked to name Jesus. He would save his people from their sins. So she knew his purpose. I don't know if she knew that it would end at the cross which she'd be standing next to John. I don't know if she knew that, but she certainly found out, didn't she? And uh, John took her in um, to take care of her in her older age. But what was it like? So there's one word that you find repeatedly through the Old, New Testament, and I'm gonna be looking at various verses that refer to the word, he was manifested. He was manifested. And it first appears uh, sort of a reference to this, not exactly <clears throat> he was manifested, but in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. So if you turn to that, I'd appreciate it. Isaiah chapter 7. That's where we'll start. And there'll be four or five of these sections of God's word that will refer to him being manifested. He appeared. Isaiah chapter, verse 13 is what I'll read eventually. But let me introduce the, the problem. Um, Judah was ruled by a king, Ahaz, and he was being threatened by the king of Syria and the king of Israel. Of, of Israel. And he was being threatened, an army was going to come in. And Isaiah was there to assure him from, from God that there's no danger. In fact, uh, in Isaiah 7 and 4, it reads, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. And later, through me, the Lord God said, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. So he had the assurance from Isaiah. I don't know the degree he had, the faith he had in God, but he was assured by Isaiah, who was speaking for God, that it was going to be okay. And then Isaiah invited him uh, to make it, ask for a sign, uh, some miracle, that, uh, just to assure you that God's going to do this. And he wouldn't. He just wouldn't. So Isaiah gave him one. He said, and he addressed not just him, but the whole 
house of David, which was living in, which, which, which is Judea. All the, all the descendants of David lived in Judea. He says, verse 13, Hear now, O house of David, not just Ahaz, but the whole house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew tells us that word Emmanuel means God with us. So sometime in the future, speaking to Judea, to the king Ahaz, at the house of David, he's saying, God will be with you. And later in the New Testament, we find out what that means. God will be manifested as a human being. Now, later we're going to read Philippians chapter 2, which talks about he was in the form of God. I tried, I talked to one brother this morning. What does that mean to you? Well, just to me, it means he's invisible. He occupies all, transcends all space, all time, time, eternity past, eternity future, and God knows everything that's happened in there. And he occupies the universe and all that's beyond. The form of God, it's hard to figure that one out. But for some reason, God became a human being. And that's the reason we'll talk about this morning. Why did God become a human being? We know there's a triune God. There's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the, 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 the person, you might say, who calls himself the Son became a human being. And he's there in Mary's arms. Let's go over to John chapter 1 to start. First John chapter 1 to start. <clears throat> you know, some of you may be familiar with the book of John, where John starts out in the book of John. Now, we're going to go into the first letter of John here. That's what we're going to be reading. But in the book of John, it starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this, what we call in English, the Word, in the Greek is logos. Uh, and the logos is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And uh, I picture this as, He's the full expression of God. Uh, the Spirit and the Father also have the full expression of God, but John is really occupied with logos, this expression of God in human form, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning, in the beginning. So when's that? Well, that's before Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, before then, the Lord Jesus Christ existed as part of the Godhead. That's a great mystery. And yet, here's the child manifested as a human being in the arms of Mary. So let's go to 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and that's the key word this morning for my message, 
this life was manifested. It became real. And, what jo and we, we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He appeared to us. And what was John able to do? He was able to hear him. He could hear his ministry. He could hear his teaching. He could hear his prayers. And they're recorded in the book of John, some of his prayers. He was close enough to hear him. He could see him. It wasn't, Jesus was not some ephemeral spirit. He was a person. And he could contemplate and look upon him. What a, what a privilege he had to be that close to Jesus Christ. He could hear him, touch him, uh, see him, consider him. We've handled him, we've touched him, this word of life. Verse, uh, chap now go over to chapter 3 if you don't mind. Chapter 3 and verse 5. Another thing regarding his... I'm sorry, I think I have made a mistake. No, here it is, I'm sorry. John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to wake up, take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So as he grows up, here's a man who is, God is manifested in him, and there is no sin, no desire to sin. He could be tempted, and he could see all the temptations that we go through, but he himself didn't sin. This is God. So in the form of God is, is perfect morality, you might say, uh, uh, light, uh, spiritual light in God, and he's a person. And John said, I touched him. I talked to him. I could hear him. I heard his ministry. I heard his preaching. And he was, it was manifested. And what was his purpose in coming? It says right here, he was manifested to take away our sins, and him is no sin. So I point out the fact there's no sin. But the reason he came was to take away our sins. And the only way that could happen is that his life ended on a cross. And there he would bear our sins, take on our punishment on himself. It's like a lamb being taken to sacrifice. And there the lamb would die in place of the person who was offering the sacrifice. That's how it would end. And he knew that because he's God. He was omniscient. He knew the beginning and the end. And he knew what would lie beyond the end. And that's for those who would simply by faith trust him as their Lord and Savior. Not a trivial thing to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. And I urge you, if you have not done that, this morning is the time to do that. But that was his purpose in coming, was to take away our sins, and it ended at the cross. His life is a message. Here it ends in the cross because he bore our sins in his own body on that cross. That's his purpose. It does show you how much God loves us. You want to see what God is like? You look at the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most precious parables he talks about is the parable of the prodigal son. And you may have heard of it. If you haven't, the story is this, that a young man wants to leave home. He wants, to, he wants his inheritance now, and he goes and he squanders it. There's another son who faithfully serves his father. 
Well, the son who squandered it all comes back. He, he loses it all. He's hungry. He's starving. And he, he says, Father, just make me one of your servants. He's fully repentant. He's repentant. In other words, he's turned from the way he was going back to please his father. And that's the step we take when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We turn from the way we were going and we turn to him and put our trust and faith in him. So he comes to his father not knowing what to expect. And as Jesus tells this story, there are those who are Pharisees that it's very legalistic, pointing out, just expecting to say his father chewed him out. That's what they're expecting. But in the story, God, uh, Jesus tells them what God is really like. The father runs out, hugs his son, and calls for the servants to bring a robe and put, make a feast in preparation for his son who has returned. That's God, totally contrary to what many people believe God is like. But God loves sinners who turn from their sins and return and come to him, receiving Jesus as their savior. Their sins are dealt with, washed away because of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And you get that by simply putting your faith and trust in him. It's a step of faith. Am I sure of heaven? I am sure I have placed all my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my assurance of heaven. I've put my faith in him. And I don't believe God lies. Have you put your faith in him? Philip Bliss writes, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. <clears throat> praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Turn with me to, excuse me, another one, First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Pardon my cough, it just it came up overnight. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bible, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed, he's speaking to Jewish Christians who really, they were going through tremendous persecution. They had fled Jerusalem because of the persecution as Christians. They have fled. And he's writing to them to encourage them, stick to your faith. Stick to your faith. God will take care of you. So he says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've put your faith in him for your salvation. You're redeemed from your sin because of what he did for you on the cross. But then speaking of the Lord Jesus, in verse 20 he says, Indeed, he, and he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times for you. 
His purpose in coming as a man were planned ahead of time. That's what's so amazing. He knew what was coming his whole life. If you look at his life, he's never really surprised. It's really fascinating to, to read his life and the calmness he has before the religious leaders. And all these people come up, for example, when he's before the religious leaders there at night. Uh, it's like a preliminary hearing of the Sanhedrin, and they're questioning him. And people come up saying, well, he, he tried to destroy the temple. And their, their stories contradict each other. And he says not a word, because he knows they're all lies. Uh, but he's perfectly calm in that situation. He goes before Pilate. Perfectly calm. He knows what's coming. He could have called down legions of angels to destroy the Roman soldiers that were leading him out to, the, to Calvary. No, he let them lead him. He is obedient, you might say, to his father and his father's will to go to the cross and there die for us. There's no surprise. He was foreordained. In other words, it was planned. This is what the son would do to redeem man in the future. And then there's creation, and there's us. There's us in our sins today. And God has provided a plan. Indeed, it is a, it's a narrow path, you might say. There's just one gate, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But that's the gate, and he's provided it. He was manifest. That's the key word this morning. Made visible in these last times for who? For you and for me. Let's turn again now to uh, Paul, what Paul has to say in 1 Timothy 3 and 16. 1 Timothy 3 and 16. I usually don't like to speak like it's a Bible drill, but in a way it's turning out that way. But there aren't too many more, trust me, because uh, I like to stick to one, one small area and focus on it. But the key word is he was manifest. He became a person. He's in Mary's lap. Joseph is standing there. The shepherds come in, and she's, she's pondering these things in her heart, all these things that they're saying. And later they go to... Uh, they go to the temple, okay, and they offer a sacrifice. He's being circumcised, all the full, full Jewish tradition. And later they come back again. Uh, Mary comes uh, to the temple, and there's, uh, uh, there's people there, and, and they're, they're witnessing the, the, the glory that's going to come from this boy. And she ponders these things in her, in her heart, yet here he is. He was manifest. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So 1 Timothy 3 and 16, and it's a poem. And some people contemplate that this was an early Christian hymn, an early Christian hymn. And the way Paul introduces it, he says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. There's the baby in the manger. Justified in the spirit, many times the spirit came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said that at the baptism. He says that at the transfiguration later in the life of Jesus Christ. He's seen by angels at this temptation. They're there comforting him and strengthening him. Um, maybe probably at his birth, they were, they were there too at his birth. 
uh, uh, when he's praying in Gethsemane, they come and give him strength after he's praying in Gethsemane. So the angels are there, uh, preached among the Gentiles. And there's uh, Peter speaking to Cornelius as a Gentile, who's a Gentile uh, a Roman soldier. And uh, the message goes out to all, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. So he's preached to them. He's believed on in the world, not believed by everyone in the world, obviously, but there are many, every nation and tribe as someone who's put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, received up in glory, and that was his, his ascension. One last, one last section of scripture, that's Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. There was a time in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ when Philip, is so, he's one of the disciples, and he's so puzzled at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's followed him for three years, and finally he says, just show us the Father, and that will be sufficient. Show us God the Father. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you do not, have not known me, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, there to save the world from their sins. Anyway, let's go to, again, Philippians chapter 2. And the purpose of this section of Scripture, uh, the, the problem with the Philippians, there was some pride. And once there's pride, obviously there's pride everywhere, but this pride was causing divisions within the assembly. And uh, so Paul, when he tells them, don't be prideful, be humble, the first thing he does is say, well, here's the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've taken him as your personal savior, and this should be characteristic of your life as well. You're reading what he's taught. You're reading what he did for you. Uh, he's working in your life now through the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit is bringing all these things into remembrance for you. And the result should be humility on your part. But first, he's going to tell them the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he doesn't do that, sometimes he just uses himself as the example. You know, I was you know, the chief of sinners, and there's the work God did in my life, and it should be the same in yours. But here the point is, he's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where I'd like to go myself. Let's go to the one who died for my sins, and what did he do? in a humble way. So Paul starts out in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's something in his mind, this attitude of humility. That's what he's aiming at to, to, to speak to. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. One commentator says uh, he did not consider being the, in the form of God himself a thing to be clutched and retained at all costs. He did not cling to the prerogatives and privileges of deity. He was God. He, it was through his word the worlds were created. 
And yet, and he was in the form of God. Now, that explains a little bit to me uh, in that I can't explain the form of God. I mean, I know he's invisible, right? I know that much. And I know that he transcends time, uh, but the form of God, yet Jesus was willing to become visible to us. And he took it the form of a human being. So if we see him, we see God. And we see God's attitudes towards sinners, his compassion toward those who are hurting, his compassion towards you. You see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't see it anywhere else. There are those who are born king, princes, you know, to become kings. You won't see this attitude. They're spoiled from the day one. Whereas Jesus, born in humility, he takes the, what does it say here? Yeah, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he's going to carry out what was foreordained and be fully obedient to his father's will and come to earth and be born in a manger, okay, and, and grew up in, uh, his father was a, uh, a carpenter, which is a, f a nice trade. Let's ask Brother Dave. Uh, uh, being in carpentry and uh, Brother Bo uh, uh, Bill Fast and, and, and the McKays, uh, carpentry is great. We don't know what kind of work he did, but in any case, he wasn't doing the actions of a prince, right? A prince would be in the, in the palace He's, he's working, working for a living, supporting his family. So he left the prerogatives, prerogatives of heaven to come here. Now, it says here in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. I mean, angels worshipped him, and yet he made himself of no reputation. Um, that's tough. I mean, how many, how many, uh, you don't read, uh, I, I, I tried, a long time ago I read a book called The Prince and the Pauper by Mark Twain, uh, where these two, there's two guys that look very similar. One's a pauper, okay, a poor kid, from a, a, his father's a drunk, and the other is the prince, supposed to be Prince Edward, the son of, Edward, of uh, Henry VIII. But anyway, they meet, and, and uh, I guess the, the, the pauper was being beat up for some reason. Anyway, they meet, and the prince says, you know, let him go. And they start talking, and they decide to exchange places. Uh, but before the, the prince leaves the palace to do this, he, he has the great seal of England, and he hides it someplace. So he's the only one who knows where that is, and any official document requires this, this, this seal. Uh, so they exchange places, and of course the pauper is totally lost in the new situation. But the king is learning a lot about what it's like to be a common person, because he has to go home eventually, and his father's a drunk, he gets beaten up all the time, and uh, he's beginning to miss the palace. And I guess the, 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 the Henry VIII dies, so they're taking this, this boy, this is all make-believe, you know, this is all fiction, by the way. Uh, just so you know. Uh, anyway, the, 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 the poor kid, they're going to make the king, but they can't find the royal seals to make it all happen. Uh, so finally, the, the, uh, Edward, the prince, comes back, and Tom, the poor guy, welcomes him back, and they exchange places again, and everything's, everybody's happy. But the king has learned a big lesson. 
the prince has now become the king, and he has the royal seal, that insignia, insignia of, you know, he, he, he's the official person. It was a great book. Uh, so what was it like for the Lord to come to leave the glories of heaven and come to this scene? Well, you can imagine what it's like to live in, in Bethlehem and then Nazareth, uh, the poverty of it all. You can just imagine that, of people hustling around, beating people up, and drunkenness, the whole schmear, okay, the human experience. And yet he's, uh, uh, he has no sin. And it's a verse in the Psalms, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. And J. Vernon McGee says that's a sign that uh, uh, he's a song of the drunkards, that people recognized his character. And this is the way they treated him. So he drew, grew up persecuted. Uh, often think about that. What was it like to be a young man for the Lord Jesus Christ? And he knew it was coming. Anyway, let's get back to our scripture. We're, almost, we're, we're doing just fine that made himself of no reputation. He became like Tom the Popper, okay? Just made himself no reputation and uh, didn't want any special treatment, but he had all the power of God. He didn't lay aside any, any power that he had or authority. He was able to restore a man's arm, a, a person's hand, heal a leper, um, calm a storm, tell a fig tree, you're gonna die, and it dies. Within hours, it's dead. I mean, he has all the powers of God, and yet he kind of controls it because he knows where he's heading. He knows where he's heading. He's heading to the cross, and he sees it all happening. He sees Judas betraying him. He sees the, the soldiers coming out, uh, the temple soldiers coming out to Gethsemane to arrest him. And he says, asks, why are you high? Why are you coming after me like this when I was speaking openly day by day. And you know, they, they take him away. But he does, he does remind them the truth. This is actually what happened and brings conviction to their hearts. Look how they treated, they didn't, they were being secret, you know, they were being a little bit uh, secretive about what they were doing. Peter's gonna rescue them, rescue him. Okay, so he has a sword. And he takes the sword and cuts off the ear of one of the uh, chief priest's servants named Malchus. And Jesus said, you know, put your sword away. And he heals his ear. So in this time of great stress on the part of the disciples, in fact, they all flee. They all run for their lives, okay, at this experience. So then he hits these steps of humility. It's almost going down, 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 down. All of his disciples are running away. taking the form of a bond servant. He washes the disciples' feet. All these steps downward when he could have displayed all of his glory if he had chosen to, but he didn't. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That was from birth. He humbled himself the whole time and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
And that was for you and I. And I'll just read verse 9, because it's, it's, well, let's read verse 9 and 10. I can't leave depressed this morning, because God, he had purpose in all this, that we would be with him for all eternity. He could love us. And then his joy would be fulfilled. The purpose for which he came would be satisfied. Okay, he would be with us. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for that moment that we'll be with him. But where is he? Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So my prayer for you is that your, your, your Christmas is a time to rejoice and be happy with your families. And we celebrate the birth, the manifestation of God as a baby grows up. The purpose is the cross. But to remember that, that we're blessed because we have a savior. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what it means. We're blessed. And it seems like each of these that we've read this morning uh, has a particular point. John's point, Isaiah's point was, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, he said, uh, John's point is that he was manifested to take away our sins. Peter's point, Paul's point is that he humbled himself. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He was born humbly, raised humbly. His lowest step was the death of the cross. There's a hymn, a Christmas song that's relatively new that I've heard this past week. My sister-in-law pointed and my brother-in-law pointed it out to me. Um, called How Many Kings. It's by a, a group of singers called Down Here. Have any of you ever heard it? It's called How Many Kings. Have you heard, you've heard it, Amy? Good. Uh, I'd like to just share the words with you. I'm not going to sing it. I mean, that's, that's for Lord and Bob. <laughs> yeah. But let me share with you what Mark Martell wrote. He was the one who wrote it. I'll just share a few words, then I'll, I'll recite some of the, it's poetry, okay? When my record label approached and, and our hand, band about writing original Christmas songs, I set out to write a song that I had never heard said before, before that re related to the Christmas story. My favorite thing about Christmas is that as a believer, I am often challenged by the fact that God's way of doing things often seems to be the opposite of what we would come up with instead of the world's way of coming down to earth, which would involve celebrity, riches, arrogance. Our God and Savior chose humility. That's just what we've been talking about. Poverty and the ultimate sacrifice of dying on a cross hanging between two thieves. This completely humbles me as a believer. I'm amazed at how God uses the mundane to save us from our sin and ourselves. Let me share with you uh, the, the, the Christmas song that he wrote. It's called, How Many Kings? 
by down here. That's the name of the, the band. Follow the star to a place unexpected. Would you believe, after all we've projected, a child in a manger? Lowly and small, the weakest of all, unlikeliest hero wrapped in his mother's shawl, just a child. Is this who we've waited for? Because how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is all torn apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Bringing our gifts for the newborn Savior, all that we have, whether costly or meek, because we believe. Gold for his honor and frankincense for his pleasure and myrrh for the cross he will suffer. Do you believe? Is this who we've wished for, waited for? It's who we've waited for. Because how many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that has torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me, all for me, all for you. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, we thank you this morning for the, the, the means you've provided for us to be saved. Lord, the struggle is not what we can do for God, but what he did for us. We thank you, Lord, for the... Pray, Lord, if any have not put their trust in him this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would do it and know that the value of his blood that was shed at the cross. He did it for me. He did it for us. We thank you, Lord, for this season. May it be a blessing to each family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.